Well, if you would, turn to 1 Peter. Uh, we are looking at chapter 5, verse 6. We're skipping a few verses again, and I apologize on that. Uh, Peter kind of, he's, he, it's really wrapping up a little bit of what we had looked at before as he, he unfolds those four commands that we saw earlier in 1 Peter, hope, holiness, reverence, and love, and how that plays out in our interaction with people, right? We saw that with husband and wife. Uh, in the first part of chapter 5, he deals with the elders, the leaders of the church, and then he deals with the young men. It's a powerful text. And as we stated, there's two things that are orbiting through all of this in the epistle. First is his Christology. Christ is elevated, right? We saw that time and time again. Christ becomes the model. Christ is um, what holds us together, as well as eschatology, and that's the study of end times. In other words, the Lord's coming back. It is imminent. And, and so his eschatology, his Christology drives his theology as well as his, his ethics through the book. And it should not surprise you that he's going to come back to that here in chapter 5. And, and I, I really think in chapter 5, 6 through 11, we're dealing with the how. How do you accomplish all of this? Or, or what should you be doing in the midst of all this? And he gives us three incredible pearls. And uh, hopefully... It was worth braving the storm to be here this morning. So let's look at the text. Verse 6, and God will exalt you. Uh, it starts off, uh, I, I know Greek is like underwear. You need it for support. You just don't let anyone see it. All right. But in the Greek, and I hate saying that, but it is, it's so key here. It's a hinge. It goes back to what has been stated. He says, therefore, you know, you're to humble yourselves with one another, but far more significant, God will exalt you in due time if you humble yourselves under his mighty hand by, here's the, the means of doing so, by casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Be sober and alert. Your enemy, the devil, like a roaring lion, is on the prowl looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Strong in your faith, because you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are enduring the same kinds of suffering. And, and, and here's another little contrast, a conjunction, but. And Peter uses this frequently in a grammatical way throughout the letter to, to show us there's a vast difference. He's talked about suffering. He, he's talked about God overseeing it in the midst of, of Satan trying to attack. He says, but you after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, it's emphatic, he highlights that God himself will be involved to restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you to him belongs the power forever. Amen. Well, let's look at these four commands. The first of these is the call to walk in humility before God. That's there in your notes. Marshall in his commentary on 1 Peter, and it's there under that first paragraph under letter A. To submit to God means basically that we are conscious of our humble status as his creatures. We are prepared to do his will. Remember, this is in light of them suffering. Whatever that may be at the cost of curbing our own sinful and selfish desires. I've given three points based on the text. Let me give you these three. First of all, humility recognizes the sovereignty of God. We're going to unpack that a little bit more here in a minute. But God's in charge. You say, I'm suffering. This isn't fair. This isn't right. Wait a minute. God's in charge. So what you're experiencing, ultimately, he's allowing it. 
and indicates a willingness to submit. Notice what Peter says. He says, if you humble yourselves under his, what? Mighty hand. That phrase is used in the Old Testament to refer to God's deliverance of his people in the Exodus. It's a very powerful phrase. Uh, and I, I mentioned that there in your notes. Um, that same hand, you know, think about it. It's the same hand that delivered the Israelites. the same hand that put mud on the guy's eyes who was blind. It's the same hand that's going to deliver and, and, and carry you through. And you can rest in that. That hand, will, as I mentioned, will cling to the Lord. Um, think of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful to make a way for you to escape. He's there. He's providing. He's caring. Just like he did for the Israelites in the Exodus, he's doing it for you. Uh, what a promise, right, to this group who's suffering. Yeah, Dick. Does that mean removal from this life? Great question. Removal from this life? Well, notice what he does say. Uh, he states in due time. God will exalt you in due time. There are some scholars who want to argue that due time is even he'll exalt you here on earth. Uh, I don't think so. I think the context is, uh, context is the exaltation in the end. And I quote, by the way, you'll see that in your notes under uh, that number two. Humility leads to exaltation. I quote Schreiner saying, The day of humiliation is limited to this world, but the readers, that is the believers, will be lifted on high by God's grace forever. It's what awaits God's people. Uh, he's talked about that time and time again, all the way back in chapter one, right? Remember, we talked about what's orbiting through this book, Christology and eschatology. We're looking to the end. So um, it's just the opposite, isn't it, of what the world would say. If you want to get ahead, you, you know, you got to strut your stuff. Uh, the scripture's just the opposite, humility. Is that what you're asking, Dick? Did I answer your question? What did Paul say? To die is gain. Not that we seek to take our life, but um, yeah, <laughs> the, that's the the horrible thing of the unrighteous is that they will experience a second death. It's bad enough to experience one, right? But for the believer, the first death is glorious because we're in the presence of the Lord. So yeah, I, I think God's hand in, of mercy can often be that he calls us home. Thoughts on that? I don't know. That sounds a little morbid to stay with a snowstorm, but not really. That's what we're living to, to be in the presence of the Lord. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean we don't sorrow. You know, that's what Bob McCullough and I were talking about on the phone last night. I mean, this, this is tough news. And Chung Man, uh, when I saw him at the hospital, he said, hey, I'm ready to go home. If God, you know, I'm ready. I can't wait. But if he wants me here, that's fine. But I, I'm ready. Uh, great outlook on that. But humility leads to exaltation. Notice that what he says, right? If you humble yourselves. And then he gives us one more here. How do we reach this humility? It's accomplished by trusting God. 
and again, this is, goes back to what we're saying earlier, but notice the, the participle of means. By casting all, not some, all your cares on him because he cares for you. It assumes what, by the way? One's very explicit, one's implicit. That you believe he can do it, right? But what's the explicit? Because what? He cares for you, right? It's, it's, it's black and white. Why would you want to do this? Because he cares for you. He's going to provide for you, right? <clears throat> and, and it's all seen there. This idea of casting your cares is the same term used when the disciples threw their cloak onto the donkey for Jesus to ride as a, use it as a saddle. <laughs> by Just throw it on him. Let him deal with it. Because, as he concludes in his doxology in verse 11, all power belongs to him forever. He can do it. I think he can handle it. Allow him to deal with it. The question I had here in your notes is, how can anxiety and worry be criticized as pride based on this passage? Did everyone obtain these phone numbers? Okay, I'll turn it back later. Let's just think through this for a minute. Based on this passage, how is worry and anxiety considered pride? Because he's saying you, you humble it by not worrying. Lack of trust. Lack of trust. <clears throat> I like that. I like that. Trusting in the wrong thing. As men living in the United States in 2018, <laughs> we're taught you, you deal with the problem, you know. You address it. So it goes against the grain to, you know, I'm responsible for taking care of my issues. And Texas is saying, no, 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 no. We trust the Lord. What else? What, why else is this seen as pride? Self-reliance. Self Okay, um, a lack of dependence on the Lord. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, Dan. Good. Worry can also presume upon the Lord, can't it? All of a sudden, you're dictating what needs to be done. I was just thinking about that. Uh, in light of Luke 10, we're going to look at that passage in a minute. But it can presume upon the Lord. Uh, we're to be praying, your will be done, not, not our will be done. Um, and that, that's including life. Ah. Uh, there's a, we could flesh this out even more, but it's a good list to, to start with. And he says, listen, in light of our glorious salvation and the commands that are given and how that interacts with all of our relationships, he gets to the end of this book and he says, how is this all accomplished? First of all, it's walking in humility before God. One another, yes, but far more important here is before God. He gives us another nugget here. And that's found in this next section, uh, and that is a call to resist 
the devil. You're to rest in God's presence. You're to resist Satan's presence, <laughs> right? I mean, you think about it, uh, and if you want to do a fun little study, is to compare and contrast God's role in ch chapter 5 and Satan's role as identified by Peter in chapter 5. He tells us, number one, the devil is seeking to destroy a Jesus follower. Notice what he says, be sober and alert. It's hard to be sober and alert if you're, you know, worrying. A worrywart cannot be sober and alert. My aunt, oh my goodness, uh, she's, uh, she's worried her whole life. <laughs> um, no one thought she'd live as long as she did, but I think she's just killed everybody off that's been around her. <laughs> she just, it's just worry, worry, worry. It's like, just trust the Lord. He's in charge. You're a believer. Claim the truths. But so the enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion. It's, just, it's interesting in the midst of this. He says, resist him. He's looking to destroy. I had a question there. How is the image of a lion a fitting illustration of, of uh, Satan? Uh, now, I know, Peter may not be thinking of all of these characteristics of a lion, but it's very intriguing. I was doing a little research. You realize lions only run in short bursts, so they have to be close to their prey when they attack. A lion usually kills by strangling them. Here's another interesting little tidbit. Lions take advantage of factors that reduce visibility. Think about that for a minute, right? And then finally, lions are easily discouraged if they think their prey has seen them. This is why some African tribes for their cattle will, will paint eyes on their hineys. So it looks like they're looking at the, you know, uh, the, the predator who might be coming. So in light of this, in light of what he says in the text, uh, think about this. How is this image of a lion fitting to illustrate Satan? Again, I don't want to take the image too far here, what Peter's doing, but I think we, there's some things we can tease out of here that will at least make a great Sunday school lesson or a Bible study. Yes, yeah, Scott. Yeah. Satan loves secrecy. Right? Because if you're, let me finish this thought, because this is huge. It, it, you know, uh, if you're toying with the dark, if you're doing things in the dark and secrecy, careful. Because that's, <laughs> you're, you're going to have some spiritual cataracts real quick. And that's a perfect ground for Satan. Yeah. Uh, well, Rick, and then I'll, Dan. Yep, uh, and that goes with the secrecy. Find me a, a guy that's that is claiming to be a Christian, and he doesn't have any uh, interaction with godly believers. I'm already my antenna is going up. Uh, there's there's concern, immediate concern. Um, yeah, good, Dan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't look at a news uh, item on a website without a series of 
Even, even Fox News will have a feature about a, a storyline. You're going, really? We all know why you've put that in there. Do we really need to know about some sex island that everyone goes to for pleasure? I mean, really? We don't need to. Yeah, I agree with you. In fact, my kids were saying, Dad, there's another, well, my son did last night. He said, Dad, because he watches a lot of basketball videos, Tom's going to love this. He said, Dad, there's another one of those things I'm trying not to look at. It comes right up. It's really bad. Uh, he goes, it's just crazy. It's like, why, why do we need that? But yeah, you're right. And, and, uh, Satan has a variety of tactics, but at the end of the day, they haven't changed. <laughs> he appeals to the, the flesh. He appeals to the eyes and the pride of life, the very three areas of sin, right? Um, but yeah, isn't this interesting? Uh, this whole issue with a lion, I, I, they attack at night. I mean, it's just unaware, getting close. Um, I think about Lot. You know, what a louse, really. You know, first he moves to the region of Sodom and Gomorrah, but you realize in the text he's sitting in the gate, which means he's a leader in the town. He's an elected official. You're going, wow, you went a long ways, baby, to get to that point. But it's, it's subtle. And then the next thing you know, you turn around, you realize how far you've gone. And, and so careful, because Peter is clear, you've got to be sober. You've got to be alert. Just as you humble yourself before God and you, you cast your cares on him, you cling to him, you need to run from Satan. And you need to be aware he is active. He is like a roaring lion. The only time he's changed is during the millennial age. <laughs> uh, he is alive and well, and, and we don't need to be told that. But the text is very, making it very clear. He's, you know, you think about this. He's not concerned about an unsaved because they're already his. It's the person who claims to, to name the name of Christ, the person who's out there. That's who he's going to go after. Um, and, and, and that's uh, another, you mentioned uh, being around brothers and Christ, it's another reason we need to pray for one another in this room, you know. Um, pray God put a hedge of protection around each of us. I need that. We all need that. The day we don't, we're in trouble. Well, I'm starting to preach. So he says, listen, you're to resist the devil. And I have this mentioned in your notes there. It's a quoting from Grudem. It's under that space that you could write. And he says, and this resist implies a confidence that God will intervene and give the Christian victory. Isn't that great? This isn't, oh, I'm really concerned you'll not make it. No, no, no. He's implying that you can, you are successful. And I wrote Revelation 12 as a per beautiful picture. They have conquered the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. And that fits with the second part here, is not only are we to resist the devil and being alert, other believers are also undergoing persecution. You're not alone. In fact, notice what he says in the text. He says um, that brothers and sisters throughout the world, this isn't a, a localized thing. It's global, and they're enduring the same kind. So you, you can't claim, well, yours is unique. I wrote in your notes, it's being a little cheeky, but I wrote, you can't play this isn't fair card or you cannot relate card. Uh, those won't work. 
And you've heard that, right? You've counseled people who've kind of abandoned the faith or they're wallowing in sin and they're kind of enjoying it. Well, you know, you haven't walked in my shoes. Peter says, cut it out right now. It doesn't work. There are people suffering globally, just like you, brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're remaining strong. So you need to remain strong. Um, These are difficult days you're in, Peter's writing. And we didn't need to be told that. And remember, our audience is probably not having their fingernails pulled out. Our audience is actually simply being ridiculed, slandered, maybe being ostracized a bit in their society. That's the only persecution they're undergoing, I believe, based on the text. But it's still suffering. Yeah, first world problem. But, yeah, more champagne than beer problem. Someone, someone says, oh, Tom Flynn always says, but that's, not a, that's a champagne problem. Okay, uh, so, <clears throat> anyway. Well, well, we're called to resist the devil. Let me give you one more here, and that is we're called to cling to hope. I love the last two verses. Thank goodness for the last two verses, right? He says, but, or and, is another way to do it. But again, that construction tells us we've moved into a different topic. It's to contrast what has been stated. After you've suffered for a little while, by the way, you are going to suffer. <laughs> That's clear. Jesus said you would. And the text tells us here, it's only for a little while. Why? Because you have all eternity in God's glory. Is what the text tells us, right? He says, after the God of, and I love this, look how he describes him, of all grace. Grace is not a foreign concept to this book. We've told you it's the epistle of grace earlier on. Look at chapter 1, verse 13. Let's just rehearse where we've been. 113, therefore, get your minds ready for action, being fully sober. Sound familiar? Set your hope completely on what? Grace that would be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Again, his eschatology is driving his ethics. It did my grandmother, right? Or my mom. She said, you don't want to be doing that when the Lord comes back, right? It's her eschatology driving her ethics. Look at chapter 4, what we looked at last week. 4.10. Just as each of one of you has received a gift used to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. There it is. And he's saying, this God of all grace... Go back to chapter 5, sees what he does. He'll call you to eternal glory in Christ. <laughs> it's just marvelous. This one who's going to be appearing, we will be in his glory. And Peter knows firsthand about the glory. Don't forget it. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And we get to Second Peter in January, and I'm excited. I love Second Peter. <clears throat> um, of course, you'd know I'd say that. Um, so Transfiguration... Uh, is what Peter appeals to for the veracity of what he's preaching. He doesn't go to the resurrection of Christ. He doesn't go to the empty tomb with Lazarus. He goes to the Mount of Transfiguration. Because I saw all his glory. I know what we've got in store for us. And he says, will himself. Again, it's emphatic. And he gives us four verbs. And uh, I've tried to distinguish the four. To be quite honest, they're, they're synonyms. You're splitting hairs. And I think what he's trying to do is to deliver a huge punch. In other words, God's going to provide. Because I've done a little, restore could mean to replenish, confirm is to stabilize, strengthen is to make strong, establish is to settle. But to be quite honest, what he's trying to do is emphasize God will strengthen you. 
in this life, I would argue, as well as the end, and all the losses that you've, you've incurred for the cause of Christ, uh, it will pale in comparison to what you are going to receive. So persevere. Hang fast. Because, and then he delivers this very brief, succinct, and powerful doxology to him belongs the power forever. Boom. Amen, he says. I love it. I love it. It's, just, it's a great way to end these three commands. He says, this is it. Boom. Right? We're done. Questions on the text? Isn't this great? I know we know all this, but just to be reminded of this and to see it again in fresh eyes, it's exciting. Remember, Peter is a type A personality. He knows a lot about worrying. Just rehearsed through the Gospels. <laughs> right? He had a mother-in-law to care for. Come on. Right? So we want to talk about worrying. He lived with his mother-in-law. That's got to be a lot of worry. Uh, no, I got a great mother-in-law. I'm just teasing. But, you know, how are you going to pay for the taxes? You got to be kidding. You know? What do you mean you say that, Jesus? You got to be kidding. You don't mean that. There's a lot of worry. And you see this guy refined. I mean, when it comes to grace, I don't think of Peter as being gracious in the Gospels. But as time has progressed and God has worked in his life, there's been a lot of chipping away and molding him to here. Wait till we get to Second Peter. In fact, so much so that some scholars say, well, Peter didn't write Second Peter. <laughs> mm, I disagree. I think we'll talk about that. But you see even further refinement as he understands fully or more fully what this all means. <clears throat> we have time. Good. Turn to Luke chapter 10. It's one of my favorite texts in the Gospels. <clears throat> Turn to Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, we have a visual, an illustration of what it means to worry. Because I, I, I know most of you have no idea what worry means or have any anxiety. So let me take you to a passage where it's illustrated vividly. And it's a woman. It's Martha Stewart of the first century. Luke 10, 38. Now they went on their way. Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. She's doing uh, <laughs> uh, we may need to, to, to remove this from the recording. She's doing what a woman was supposed to do in the first century, and that is to provide hospitality, cooking, etc. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus. By the way, she is always at the feet of Jesus in the Gospels. And listen to what is, he said. <clears throat> but Martha was distracted with all the preparations she had to make. And can you imagine? She just had 13 visitors show up at the doorstep. That's a lot of hummus. She said, Lord, don't you care? Did you see what she just did? She presumed. What do you mean? He, yes, he cares. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Did you catch this? Don't you care? And my sister has left me to do all the work, you poor little sorry thing, right? Mary is, is doing what is forbidden as well. A woman is not to sit at the feet of a rabbi. She should be in here, helping with the dishes. Tell her to help me. But the Lord said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled, it's the same term, about many things. But the one thing is needed, 
Mary has chosen the best part. A lack of trust, self-reliance, lack of dependence on the Lord, all the things you just stated, Martha illustrates beautifully, unfortunately, but beautifully. And don't you care? Isn't that a powerful text in light of this? And so I I wrote three things down uh, in light of worry. Worry presumes upon the Lord and it elevates oneself. You already said that. Secondly, worry is not confined to the realm of suffering. Martha is doing what is noble. Martha is serving the Lord. Careful. Worry can creep in even in ministry. (laughs) Uh, Careful. That's interesting, isn't it? It's not, she's not involved in sin. What she's doing is right. She's just distracted. I mean, she's concerned about the chaos in the kitchen. The creator of the universe is reclining in her family room. I mean, if you needed more baklava, I'll let him handle it. <laughs> and then finally, a worry-free life is one that possesses a single focus. It's focused on Christ. I wrote in there in your notes, what area in your life often brings a spirit of unrest? One of your children, financial security, health concerns. Are there any particular concerns that orbit around this area? Often it's what consumes your time, your resources, your pocketbook. If so, how does the promises that the Lord will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you bring comfort. Then I challenge you, spend some time this week releasing control of the area. Draw your attention to the Lord and allow Him to work in and through you. It's a great exercise. In fact, if you want further exercise, I have down at the bottom, you want to even further explore more on how to resist the devil, Ephesians 6 has all the answers. It's the armor of God. And it's there for you. But do some evaluation. How are you doing? Contentment is not an easy thing, is it? At least it's not for me. Uh, in fact, Bob McCullough, bless his heart, he's amazing. He said about a month ago, he said, David, what can I pray for you for? <laughs> really? I said, I, I don't know, contentment. I, in just in life, everything's going on, contentment. Worry-free. We don't need another Martha. We need some Marys just basking in God's presence because he does care, unlike what Martha thought, right? Powerful text. Yes. Yeah. She's going to the right person, which is commended. But did you see she does tell Jesus, tell Mary. So she is presuming on the Lord. So she's crossed the line. There's a difference between going and saying, Jesus, we got a problem. I'm, I'm overwhelmed in the kitchen here. Versus, don't you care? Number one, I'm attacking your character. Number two, this is what you need to do. And that's the danger of worry. It, it's not by casting our cares and allowing him to take control. It's not walking in humility and letting him submit. So you're right. 
it's a fine line, and some people say I'm too hard on Martha, but I don't think so. Um, she's a type A personality, too. She's get the job done. What she's doing is commendable. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but as with any ministry, it's so easy to get distracted, isn't it? You know? Why are you doing what you're doing? To serve the Lord or ultimately to exalt self? That's a word that you used a lot in distractions. Yeah. There's nothing that affects me. Like, I'll sit down in the morning and put my devotionals and, you know, boy, the distractions of the day just start messing mm -hmm. down Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a roaring lion in the midst. What's that movie they used to, that when I had in, when they were building the railroad? Remember that in the late 1800s? It was a little hard to build a railroad when you thought there might be a lion coming out to attack. So, yeah. Bill, and we'll close the prayer. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Peter closes out this letter. Um, he says, Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And what a great promise to all of us. Let me pray. Father, just thank you for these men. Thank you for our study of First Peter, this epistle of grace. And the, the three punches that Paul or Peter delivers at the end of the letter, that is to humble ourselves before you, to resist Satan, and to cling to the hope, it are such a, uh, Lord, uh, uh, they, they give us confidence, they give us direction, and it's our longing to be faithful servants to you. Thank you that to you belongs all the power forever and ever. And with that, these men can say, Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for the great study.